welcome to the M121 podcast. I'm your host, Josh Coker, and we'll jump right into it. Today, I've got Pastor Michael Goins on the show with me. Brother Michael is the pastor of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina. He's authored over 20 books and runs Sovereign Grace Publications. You can check that out at sovgrace.net. And then he also runs Grace Alone Radio. It's a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year Christian internet radio station. Brother Mike, I want to let you jump in now and tell us about Grace Alone. All right. Thank you, Brother Josh. It's certainly a pleasure to be with you today and pleasure to speak with you on such an important topic as uh, theology. But Grace Alone Radio has been operating for a little over one year, and it is an international internet radio ministry. We proclaim the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. And we've had listeners over the past year from over 30 different countries and, of course, throughout the United States. And we feature primitive Baptist preaching and teaching. You'll hear consecutive Bible readings from the King James Version as well as a cappella hymns. The programming changes each day. We have various features that we trust will be uh, of interest to you. And one of the reasons that we started the radio ministry is edification for the people of God throughout the course of the week between Sunday services and, of course, with the COVID shutdowns in 2020 and so many churches that were not able to meet together. uh, We had a good bit of feedback from people that indicated that it was a real blessing to them, so we hope that uh, those in your listening audience today will join us at gracealoneradio.net. That's one word, gracealoneradio.net, and you'll find information there how you might connect online or download the smartphone app to listen to our programming on your smartphone. Thanks, Brother Mike, and that has been a blessing to me over the COVID time. I've been working from home uh, for let's see, eight months now, and it's been a blessing. I have an Amazon Alexa, and you know, you tell it, enable Grace Alone Radio, and I'll just listen to it there at my desk, and it, it, it helps as we're, as we're stuck inside. It's been a great blessing to me, so I encourage everybody listening today to go download that on your phone or, or get it on the Amazon Alexa or listen at gracealoneradio.net. So as Brother Michael alluded to, I've asked him to come on today to talk about theology, as we started having the idea of this podcast and, and hopefully having biblical content and conversations uh, to stir up your pure mind and edify our audience, one of the questions that I found that is most asked in Christianity is, what is theology? You know, it's a word that, I'll be honest with you, Brother Michael, I've probably used it to sound smart. You know, well, this is a great theological statement or you know, some studying <laughs> theology. Right. But I think it's, it's really simple what it is, but it's, uh, it's simple yet complex. So what is theology? Well, in general terms, theology simply means doctrine or teaching. The technical term theology is uh, identical to what the New Testament calls doctrine or teaching. And in more specific terms, the word theology has to do with the study of God. The uh, word, of course, has that familiar suffix, ology, that we see in other disciplines such as biology and sociology and anthropology and psychology. And that suffix comes from the Greek word logos that appears in the first chapter of John. In the beginning was the word, the word word, 
there is logos, and we get our English word logic. It has to do with the concept of reason or the study of, the science of. So the suffix ology coupled with the prefix theos, which is the word for God, is simply the study of God. So theology in specific terms is the discipline of uh, studying God. It's different from religion because religion generally starts with the study of man. You know, if you take a religion course at a university, then you will uh, study different cultures and their religious views. So it starts with man, but theology is the study of God. So theology starts with God. Theology would basically be taking the Bible studying the Bible to learn about God. That's exactly right, because one of the disciplines under the general canopy of theology is the discipline or the doctrine of revelation, that God has revealed himself both in nature and especially in Scripture. And so theology has to do with studying the Word of God, Holy Scripture, special revelation in order to learn about God. I've heard it said that God wrote two books, the book of nature and then the Bible. So we have two ways to learn, to learn about God. Uh, Christ, I I was thinking about Christ when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why is it important to learn theology? Why is it important to learn about God as a Christian? Why should I spend time? uh, You know, we're all busy. uh, We all have so many responsibility, but, but why is it so important that I take time out of my day to study theology, to study the doctrines of God? Well, that's a great question, and I would say that the answer is because a little knowledge about any subject is a dangerous thing. Uh, I tell people I'm not a doctor in real life, but I play one on social media, and uh, many people are experts on a number of topics on social media because they have a little knowledge about a number of different subjects, but it's a dangerous thing to have simply a little knowledge. So theology is as essential or important to a person's worldview as, say, the skeletal system is to the human body, just as the body skeleton gives a framework for all of the systems of the body to function properly, or just as the uh, framework of a home that is under construction, the infrastructure, if you please, of a home or a society is essential for the operation of that home or that culture. So theology is essential to, to Christian discipleship. You know, there was a song by Twyla Paris, the contemporary Christian singer, and I'm not picking on her per se, but the song was entitled, Do I Trust You? And it's a very popular Christian song, and she wrote it after the untimely or tragic death of a friend, and she expressed her very poignant grief in that song by these words. She says, shaken down to the cavity in my soul, I know the doctrine and theology, but right now they don't mean much to me. And I understand her sentiment, and in a sense, I can identify with that deep sense in the soul at a point of deep grief and personal 
heartache, the need for the comfort of the Heavenly Father's embrace through the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, that experience of fellowship with God that she wants and longs for, it comes by means of the revelation of truth that God has given us in the Scriptures. In other words, it comes through doctrine or theology. It's not something purely mystical or subjective, but it's rational and it's based on objective truth. The Apostle John said it like this in 1 John 1, 3, that which we, he's talking about we the apostles, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So if we want the emotional experience the existential or subjective experience of joy and fellowship with God, it comes through the things that have been written unto us in the scriptures. So doctrine is vital. So what I'm saying is that the reality is that when we face the deep valleys of affliction in life, theology is the very thing that we need the most. That's the very moment we need to draw on what we know to be true. As the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. One of my favorite cartoons from Charles Schultz, the famous creator of the Peanuts comic strip, shows Lucy and Linus looking out of the window while it rains outside. And Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus responds, it will never do that. For in the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy said, you've taken a great load off my mind. And Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. So there is a a comic strip that indicates the importance of theology. And of course, there is something to be said for the importance of practical theology, that is, truth that is applied to life, that if a person separates the practice from the doctrine or the theory, then it's easy to go astray, like Lord Ronald in one of Stephen Leacock's short stories were told he threw himself wildly upon his horse and then rode off madly in all directions. So I like to say that theology is to life what a roadmap is to a journey, just as I wouldn't strike out on a trip or a journey without an idea of where I was going and a structure. That's the role that theology fills and the importance of theology to our lives. It provides direction. It it provides a framework and it provides structure to our beliefs so that we don't ride off madly in all directions. Absolutely. I I would say having... Just you, you mentioned Genesis chapter nine, but just in those first few chapters of Genesis, having a biblical theology will explain so much about what we see in the world. And a few months, I, I guess it was back in maybe February, I preached a message about what I believe is really mental abuse to the children of this world through um, global warming. Okay, and I know that can be political, but uh, it was interesting to see some of the statistics of current younger generation and their mental health issues. But when 
they're being told through social media or through the media in the classroom that they've got, you know, if, if we can't uh, end global warming, they've got 12 years to live. That's, that is a terrible thing to put on people. Sure it is. And if you realize <laughs> that God's in control, God has promised seed time and harvest. Um, yeah, I believe we should be good to the environment. Let me say that. I believe we should be good stewards of what God's given us. But if people are telling you, you've got 12 years to live, or we're all going to burn up. That's a, that is a mental health issue. So theology <laughs> is practical, right? Oh, absolutely. Sure it is. It's, it is the framework that gives us uh, ration, rationale or structure for our thinking as we face the real-life problems of daily existence. The other thing I thought about there is that's how we get to know our Savior. He's given us a book. Paul talked about, and, and I believe it's in Philippians, that I may know him. And that's one of the goals of a disciple, right, is to know Christ. I remember when he told sure. those in, in the book of John, search the scriptures, and then you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Uh, as we begin to have a good understanding of theology or doctrine, we begin to know our Savior much better. You, exactly. That's right. You mentioned structure in, in, one of, in part of that answer. There's something called systematic theology, um, which I don't know that you can have theology without some kind of system of theology, but what is systematic theology? Well, systematic theology is um, the idea that, again, that the study of God is the general canopy concept or the umbrella concept. And beneath that general heading, there are a number of subcategories, such as uh, theology proper, which is the character and attributes of God, and bibliology, the, the doctrine of the scriptures, and anthropology, the doctrine of man, and um, soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Now, these are each technical terms, and perhaps they're too technical for some of your listeners, and that's okay. We, uh, you know, a person doesn't have to know the technical or scientific terms in order to understand the concepts. But if you look at our characteristic articles of faith in our local churches, our statement of faith, you'll notice that each article addresses one of these categories, you know, either the uh, character of God, the existence of God, that's usually article number one, and then the doctrine of Scripture, that's usually or generally article number two. You know, we believe the Old and New Testaments are the inspired and inerrant Word of God. It goes on down to each of these ideas, the doctrine of man and sin, the doctrine of salvation, God's purpose and plan for salvation in the covenant before time began, the uh, all of the different subheads beneath that category. So when we talk about systematic theology, what we're describing is the importance of understanding that all of truth meets, uh, fits together that there's a unity in God, and therefore there's a unity in Scripture. Of course, the Jewish Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the, that verse describes the unity of God. And because God is one, He's in one mind, and Scripture is the revelation of his mind. Therefore, 
scripture is unified. There is a coherent message. There is a consistency in biblical themes so that no two verses contradict each other. The old saying is certainly accurate that if two verses seem to contradict each other, then the problem is not in the scriptures, but it's in our understanding. And the goal of biblical interpretation is to rightly divide the word of truth so that scripture makes a uniform whole, like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle placed in their proper place so that a coherent picture emerges, that's the goal of biblical interpretation. The late Martin Lloyd-Jones was persuaded, his biographer says, that too often Christians have no grasp of truth as a system because of the type of preaching to which they have been chiefly accustomed. Lloyd-Jones said that the great trouble of our time is the lack of theological preaching. So doctrine is essential. It's vital. And when we speak of the, of the importance of systematic theology, we are saying that it's advisable not to just take verses here and there as the basis of your Christianity. You know, some Christians, I suppose, love the 23rd Psalm. Others love John 3.16 or Ephesians 1.4 or Romans 8.29 and 30. But the goal is to take all of Scripture and to interpret it so that it makes this unified whole. It fits together as a system, eliminating inconsistencies, eliminating Parent contradictions, you know, that's the goal of Bible study. And when we talk about systematic theology, we're talking about the importance of starting with God and then understanding what God has given us, what he's done for us, and how that applies to all of life. It's a sort of holistic approach to understanding the Bible. Yeah, I think you you hinted at it, but it's Second Timothy. 2.15, study to show thyself, yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So theology, we already talked about you use the Bible. It's not dividing truth from error. All scripture is truth, uh, but it, it does have to be put in its proper categories. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, theology is not just for preachers. It's not just for pulpiteers. Right. But every Christian, I believe, should be a systematic theologian. In other words, each believer should be able to take the core truths of the Bible and formulate them into an arrangement that forms the big picture that's portrayed in God's Word. I wrote one of my titles entitled uh, Basic Bible Doctrines. The subtitle is Systematic Theology for the Person in the Pew. You know, we're not interested in simply an academic or scholastic grasp of this thing. But I wrote, it's not enough for Christians to simply store bits and pieces of Bible trivia about various subjects or to simply derive comfort from selected passages of Scripture. A truly robust discipleship is the product of a mind that thinks theologically. And that's where systematic theology is so important. Is there a danger, I think some would say, that in studying theology that it's divisive? You know, people would say it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Or as you study theology, you're going to come to things that are divisive with other people because they may not see it the way 
that you see it or the way that we see it. So I guess my first question to you about this is, is the study of theology divisive in, in, in the body of Christ or in the church? Is there a danger with studying theology? <laughs> well, um, I, the answer to that would be, of course, um, all truth separates or divides believers from unbelievers, and certainly theology is not popular. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says that in the last times, people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will gather to themselves teachers having itching ears who will tell them what they want to hear. And one of the reasons that theology or the study of doctrine is unpopular, our culture has conditioned us to want sound bites and 30-second infomercials. And most modern people just don't have the time to uh, practice the discipline of sustained focus. We want a blog post or a video clip, want somebody to tell us everything we need to know about God in 15 seconds or less. And uh, so people are simply today in many respects not interested in really learning. They want to use God as it were for a point of crisis or a moment of tension in life. But as far as learning who he is and what he has done and actual studying of the scriptures, that's becoming, in many cases, a lost art. You may know that in 1948, the World Council of Churches promoted as its new motto the saying, doctrine divide, but service unites. And I've heard people say, don't bother me with doctrine, just tell me about Jesus. And my immediate response is, well, which Jesus are you talking about? Are you talking about the Jesus of the New Age movement, who is an ascended master, or the Jesus of popular culture, who was just a great teacher on the same plane as Socrates or Plato or Confucius or the Dalai Lama, or are you talking about the Jesus of Scripture? So the only reason that doctrine is divisive is because, in the final analysis, man has a sinful urge to declare his own independence from God. And as our thinking as Christian people becomes more and more in conformity to God's Word, then doctrine will actually produce consensus and unity. We will reach a point where, as Paul says in the epistles, we're of one mind, or we have unity in the faith. And that's the goal of the local church, is to bring people to the point where they are thinking um, alike on the core truths that historic Christianity uh, promotes. So doctrine is divisive, but that's simply a testimony to our sinful nature and the way culture has conditioned us to um, want to get away from serious thinking about God. Yeah, so the division that comes with a study of systematic theology or theology or doctrine, there will be division. So people listening today can know that if you take it serious and you take stands on what the Bible says, it will be divisive, but that's not a bad thing. Um, it's been divisive throughout history. Oh, that's correct. And um, of course, you know, you have every worldview has its own theological system. Within Christianity, you have Roman Catholic theology, you have Lutheran theology, Reformed theology, 
Anabaptist and Baptist theology. You have Arminian theology, Wesleyan theology, liberal theology, and even outside of traditional Christianity, you have Muslim theology and liberation theology and feminist theology and various other paradigms of thought. So, of course, the goal which we should strive is to embrace and affirm a truly biblical theology. And that's where the local church is so important. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, be assured there is nothing new in theology except that which is false. And if you hear a preacher (laughs) (laughs) preaching something that you've never heard before, and it's something, a new idea, you can pretty much be assured it's not true. That's, that's exactly right. That's why we need ministers who are committed to being uh, preachers of the Word and right. not to come up with their own ideas with an alternative motive of promoting themselves or perpetuating their personal legacy. Yeah, so back to that Second Timothy where he tells him to rightly divide the Word of Truth. That's where we get our doctrine. You alluded to this, kind of my next question, when if someone wants to begin the study of biblical theology, historic theology, primitive theology, if you will, primitive Christian theology. Number one, you said it. They've got to study. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 starts with study. Exactly. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you know, has that verse, much study is weariness of the flesh. It's, it's a work. Uh, he said being a workman, it needs not to be ashamed. It is a work to study the Word of God. I know I am naturally lazy and and maybe it's a it's part of being a millennial or something where you know we've had the microwave (laughs) we have twitter we have everything at our fingertips right um i I want to understand the bible this is just me maybe this is confession time i want to understand the bible but it's hard to put in the time and there are days that that i just i want to do it there's a part of me like paul i want to do it but the will to do it's not there but i will say this there has never been a time where I have sat down to study my Bible, not just even read, but to study, where I didn't walk away saying, man, that was worth it, or I feel much better. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what other advice would you give people today who want to, maybe they've never really studied their Bible, because I do believe there's a difference between reading and studying, obviously. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, but what advice would you give them for, you mentioned there's there's Catholic theology and Reformed theology and Baptist theology, um, for someone that's desiring to understand the true historic biblical theology, uh, where where should they start? Yeah, well, um, obviously, uh, you know, it's important to to be familiar with the content of Scripture. So, give thyself to reading. Paul said to Timothy, and I think it's helpful for. Christian people to read, even though it's not popular. And again, it goes cross-grain to the preconditioning of our brains these days to want little soundbite or 140 characters or less, you know, but it's important to try to read through the Bible and familiarize oneself with biblical content. And then after taking that broad-spectrum approach been reading particular books of the Bible, and like the book of Ephesians, 
or Paul's epistle to the Romans, and reading the book, not simply to find material for personal growth and development, that is, that I can apply to my problems in my life right now, but to learn about God. You know, the great passion of the believer is to know the Lord and to learn more about him from his word. And I love learning. There is no place that is more delightful to me than my study. The problem that I face is my study typically turns into an office and becomes a place for administration instead of real study. I've collected over the years a number of commentaries and good Christian literature to supplement my Bible study. And I think it's a, it's helpful for people to purchase a little notebook, or, uh, perhaps at a office supply store, and to uh, take notes as they listen to sermons or as they read their Bibles, and to uh, begin to investigate by comparing Scripture with Scripture, first within that particular context of the passage that you're reading, and then in that book as a whole, and then in the other letters written by the same human author, and then comparing it to the teaching of the Bible as a whole. And so it takes deliberate effort. And one of the dangers in studying theology, of course, there are numerous dangers. One of them is never moving beyond the theory to the practice. For instance, uh, just making it a, a thoroughly academic approach like you would have in a classroom or a laboratory, you know, that's a danger in studying theology. Another is the danger of intellectual pride, that a person begins to take some pride in the level of knowledge that they've gathered, the facts that they've assembled. And it's important to remember the verse in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, in regard to that, that if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know, because the study of God is a lifetime curriculum, and none of us will ever receive our cap and gown. We will never graduate summa cum laude from the school of Christ. But the danger of not studying theology or showing any interest at all in Bible doc uh, is that it leads to erroneous thinking. C.S. Lewis once said, if you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ideas about God. So where would I start in terms of learning theology? I would start by understanding the outline, the system of biblical theology. That is, let's start with the study of the attributes of God, the nature or the technical, if I could use a technical term, the ontology of God. What is God like? And the Bible has a number of things to teach us about the character of God, and then we move from that to the study of the nature of man, and man as he was created in God's image, and then man as he is now after the fall. And then the fall, of course, reveals the need for the doctrine or the theology of salvation. So we start to study what the Bible has to say about the great doctrine of 
how sinners are saved. And then that leads to the doctrine of the church, what it means to live as followers of Christ and believers in God and Jesus Christ in this world. And then finally, the doctrine of future things, eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things or prophecies concerning what is to come, both in this world and at the end of the world in the eternal state. So all of this, this this basic outline, this grid will help a person to approach their personal Bible study in a more systematic way. Thanks for listening to this episode of the M121 podcast. After recording this episode with Pastor Goins, we decided that we'd break it into two parts. So the next episode that will be released will be part two of our conversation on theology. Hope you've enjoyed it and I hope it's stirred up your pure mind to want to study theology more. And I hope you'll tune back in uh, next time to listen to the second half of this message. Before we go, two things I want to mention to you. First is MarchDesign.com. March Design is a website that's been around for many years. It includes an extensive article library. They have printable resources, historical documents, commonly asked questions, a church directory. If you want to find a primitive Baptist church, if you want to find a church that holds to the doctrines that we believe here at M121 and He Shall Save Media, you can find it at marchtozion.com. Now, before we leave, I wanted to encourage you with something that I've enjoyed reading in the past, and it's, uh, it comes from the first chapter of a book by Warren Wiersbe entitled In Praise of Plotters. And the actual chapter is entitled In Praise of Plotters. He says a plotter is someone who is willing to get his feet wet and wade through water and mud to get to his destination. He keeps going. Shakespeare was wrong when he wrote, small have continual plotters ever won. History shows that it is the plotters who finally make it. By perseverance, said Spurgeon, the snail reached the ark. Warren Wiersbe goes on to write, In this age of fast food, digests, and quick fixes, plotting is not held in high esteem. And I would say since the time he wrote that, uh, we've only accelerated the fact that, that plotters are not held in high esteem or in high regard. He went on to write, But it's still the plotters who are getting things done, a day at a time, a step at a time. In this chapter on plotting, he gives three things we need to be successful plotters. The first, he says, is direction. He writes this, make a list of things you feel God wants you to do. Arrange them in order and priority and use the list as a prayer guide and a roadmap for your ministry. Or if you're not a minister, well, first of all, we're all ministers in some way. We all minister to someone. If we have a family, we should be ministering to our family. If we're employees, we should be ministering at the workplace. But he says you need to have priorities, and that's so true. We can be stretched so thin that we're good for nothing. So I would say that's good advice from Mr. Wiersbe. Set um, your direction. Set your priorities. Have a list of things that are important to you and, and goals that you want to achieve. Second, he says you've got to have discipline. And to be a disciple of Jesus Christ requires discipline. I mean, it's in the name. A disciple has to have discipline. Mr. Wiersbe says plotters have their eyes on the goal. They resist every effort 
to get them on a detour. You know, that's what Satan's job is, is to make the child of God, the disciple of Christ, get off on a detour, get lost, get off the path, get on the broad way that Jesus talked about that many uh, find, that many are found on that broad way that leads to destruction. That's what Satan wants for you. And it requires discipline to stay on that narrow way. One of my favorite, uh, I guess you'd say motivational speakers, is Jocko Wilnick. He's a former Navy SEAL, and he wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. One of those quotes, he says, how do I handle those days when I'm just not feeling it? And if you're like me, I try to get up and exercise most mornings. There are some mornings I just don't feel like it. So he says, how do I, how do I handle the days when I'm not feeling it? Those days when I'm tired and worn out and sick of the grind, what do I do on those days? I go anyway. I get it done. That's good advice. You just do it. You get it done. Sometimes we don't feel like doing what we need to do, but just do it. Have the discipline. The you need to have discipline in order to be a disciple. Are there days that you're not going to want to read your Bible? Of course. What should you do? You should do it. Are there days that you're not going to want to pray? Of course. What should you do? Pray anyways. Are there going to be Sundays that would be easier to roll over in bed and not make it to church? Absolutely. But what should you do? You should go to church anyways. God rewards the disciplined. And you should be a disciplined person if you want to be a disciple of Christ. The third thing he says is divine encouragement. Divine encouragement is looking to God for our encouragement, not looking to our friends, to our families, or the circumstances of life. We need to look to God, that blessed hope, as we talk about uh, on this podcast in the conversation that I have with Brother Michael. There is, we're looking to Jesus, that blessed hope of Christ's return, the blessed hope that God does reward those who diligently seek Him. Going back to discipline, they diligently seek Him. We need to look to God for our help. Finally, I want to read this final quote that he puts in the the latter part of this chapter consider the postage stamp said american wit josh billings its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing till it gets there remember that the next time you open your mail i want to encourage you to be disciplined i want to encourage you to be plotters i want to encourage you not to faint the christian life can be hard the christian life is tough it was never going to be easy christ said in this world you shall have tribulation But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Galatians 6 verse 9 reads like this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I pray you'll join us next time on the M121 podcast. Until then, God bless you.